I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today I want to share some lessons I learned when God called me to fly. Now I'm going to stretch your thinking some today. You see, I believe that this call to aviation was preparing me for what I'm doing now, which is to help you navigate safely toward the kingdom. Now, we've talked a lot in this series about how God speaks in pictures. They are called tavniot. A tavnit is a picture that is seen one way in the natural, but to God it is a metaphor representing something that is going to happen in the future. There were many people in the Bible whom God used to act out things, such as God telling Ezekiel to go out in a field filled with dry bones and call them to life. The Lord meant that action to show that something just like that will happen in the day of the Lord. God told Abraham to take his only son Isaac and bind him on an altar as a sacrifice. Again, as a picture that foreshadowed God's only son bound to a cross as a sacrifice for us. The action was a metaphor, a tavnit. This is the Hebrew way of looking at things. This is God's language. Now, this program is all about encouraging you in the journey to the most horrific time in all of history, the Day of the Lord, which begins with a seven-year period known as the birth pangs, or what most Christians call the tribulation. It is very much on God's heart to prepare us for that day, because guess what? We are very, very close. After studying this for many, many years, I believe we only have about eight years left, which is why I keep stressing the importance of knowing, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what God has put you on earth to do. Because in just a few years, we will all give account to Him. Just as an aside here, if you want more information about God's timetable in the end of days, the bulk of that teaching can be found in the episode called How Close Are We? You can find it on my podcast page at CandiceLong.com. You can also read about it in the monograph called Where Are We on God's Timetable? That's found in my online store. And I'll put links to these resources in the description notes to this episode. I simply want you to have some perspective as to why it matters so much to God that we are prepared for the kingdom, since we are not that far away. I was called to fly in 2012. The pressure and challenges were tremendous, and the calling itself required great financial and personal sacrifice. I was not allowed to quit until I passed the test to become an instrument-rated pilot, which is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. God would not let up on me until I earned that rating. And strangely, once I got this license, he totally removed the desire to fly altogether and led me to sell my plane in the fall of 2019, right before the pandemic hit. Now, needless to say, I did a lot of self-examination about all this. I asked him, why would the desire to fly all of a sudden leave once I made it to the top ranks of pilotage? 
and here's what I see after these years of reflection. My call to fly was an assignment that lasted seven years, from 2012 to 2019. That is significant, because seven is the number of completion. I believe I had to finish this assignment to qualify before him to help you navigate differently. Today, I want to share five lessons, and as I share them, I encourage you to look at them first in the natural, and then I'll offer some commentary to apply them to what we are going through now. Lesson number one concerns what it takes to go higher and see things from God's perspective. Early in my training, I learned how to taxi the plane on the ground, steer it using the rudder pedals instead of a steering wheel, and taxi it onto the runway for takeoff. Now, once I completed the final checklist, I would look out at the runway center line, and my heart would start pounding. I understood that the only way to get higher and fly was to push the throttle all the way in and steer a speeding plane with my feet until I got to the exact takeoff speed and then pull the nose up. I had to trust that I'd gone through the checklist correctly to know that the plane was safe to fly, and I had to trust that the laws of aerodynamics I'd been studying would lift me off the ground before the runway ended. Now, that feeling of fear, though, never went away. But once I pushed through the fear and performed the required maneuvers, sure enough, the plane would lift off the ground and I began to see everything on the ground as God sees it. The commentary I want to make here is that we can no longer do life as usual. The majority of people taxi through life. They never venture out. But God is calling a new breed of leaders to give them a new vehicle, I'm speaking metaphorically here, that will take them to a higher dimension in their calling. What it takes is willingness to leave where you are on the ground and learn new skills that may be intimidating. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. He has been given legal authority to exercise dominion over the atmosphere surrounding earth. But what I learned in seven years of flying helped me understand how to make my way through a demonically charged atmosphere using the authority that Jesus gave us. There are lessons I have to teach you if you are willing to learn. If God is calling you higher, you need to quit taxiing and ask Him for the clearance to take off. Asking for clearance is critical to aviation, but it is also a critical life lesson. God will not take you to a level you have not asked Him to. You have to be specific. You want to go higher? You need clearance. I believe for many of you, God is offering you security clearance to the mysteries that He has for you at this new level. Now, the laws of aerodynamics lifted my plane off the ground, but first I had to push the throttle all the way in. There's no turning back at that point. In the same way, 
once you push your throttle all the way in, the spiritual laws that are just as sure as aerodynamics will carry you into this new dimension. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. You have to push through that fear, though, and go forward with everything you've got. Once you are aloft, you will never see life the same way again. Lesson number two, it is critical to have a thorough flight plan. Now, I enjoy talking to other pilots about what they like most about flying. Now, some just want to explore, see what's outside. Freedom is what they love, the peace and quiet of a steady engine noise. Interestingly, what I love about flying is none of that. It is preparing the flight plan. I am very mission-oriented. Each flight was meticulously planned to get me from point A to point B safely. I made straight A's in the flight planning assignments. I created my own chart and spent hours studying the entire route making sure I had thought through every contingency if anything were to go wrong, such as having to land suddenly because of engine trouble or running into a layer of clouds. So I carefully mapped out my chart, noted every checkpoint along the way, what airports I was flying over, the landmarks I would take note of, such as power lines or railroad tracks or cities, anything to keep me on course. You have to specify what altitude you plan to fly, so you write that down and you write down all the frequencies that you will need to keep in radio contact along the way. You have to study the weather to be prepared for any problems like storms or icy conditions or wind, and you gather the weather report and write down the frequencies you'll need at your destination airport and study the landing procedures at that terminal to get from where you are in the sky into that final approach pattern. I use three different navigational systems in my planning because I learned the hard way that any one of them can fail, and you'd better have a backup when you're at 6,500 feet and you need to come down. First is the GPS navigation that gives you a nice magenta line for every step of the route that you program. But what happens when that magenta line disappears and you've got no signal? I go next to the VOR navigational method. VOR stations are scattered all over the country, and they're located on aviation maps. They have frequencies that beam out 30 to 40 miles in every direction. And as you're flying along, you dial in a frequency, and by properly reading the gauges, you can tell where your plane is relative to that station. So if the wind blows you off course, you can easily get back on track. And if all of that fails, I use what's called the dead reckoning method, where I write down the time it takes to fly from one landmark to the next based on my airspeed and given a particular magnetic bearing. And then I use a timer and see if I can locate that next landmark on the ground. I go overboard in planning because for me, there is nothing more satisfying than to have planned well and after two or three hours in the air to have that destination airport clearly in sight. 
Now, by way of commentary, the same meticulous planning and preparation in the air should be our goal as we make our way through the spiritual minefields that we face on our way to the kingdom. This is a journey we all have to take. We can either take the lead and teach others how to navigate it, or we're left to fend for ourselves not really knowing what to expect. A good plan to get you and your family safely to God's destination is critical. And that's what this series is all about, learning to spot the markers, the dangers, the pitfalls, and back all these up with proven biblical commentary so we can know where we are at any given point. God lets us know in many ways when we are off course, but sometimes we miss the spiritual cues because we've never been this way before. This journey to the kingdom is not a time to go with the flow and fly by the seat of your pants. Lesson number three, there is a price to pay to be able to fly when you can't see. Getting the instrument rating is by far the hardest thing I've ever done. It was made even more difficult by a few instructors I had who did not understand right-brained thinkers. Creatives like me simply process instruction differently. We're not stupid, we're just different. I was derailed several times by the belittling, condescending attitudes of instructors who thought I'd never make it. Now here's a free coaching tip. When you feel negativism from those you go to for help, fire them. You need someone who believes in you to help you get to the next level. An IFR student pilot has to fly at least 50 hours of cross-country flight time as pilot-in-command, with foggles on the whole time which prevents you from seeing outside the cockpit. Every visual reference is taken away. If you don't know how to read your instruments, then you have no idea which direction you're going. If you're high enough to clear a radio tower on the top of a mountain, or somehow you've gotten yourself into a slow bank to the left that throws you way off course. These instruments are your life, and it takes practice to read them and scan them properly. I chose to do my training using the old steam gauges rather than the new high-tech video monitor systems. The console is made up of what's called the six-pack. These are six critical gauges that tell you something specific and will save your life when you're flying blind. The attitude indicator shows if my wings are level and my nose is straight. The altimeter shows my altitude and whether I will clear obstacles in my path. The heading indicator shows what course I'm on and if I'm going the right way. The vertical speed indicator shows if I'm climbing or descending. The airspeed indicator warns me if I'm about to stall. Now, this is especially important in the landing phase. And finally, the turn coordinator tells me if I'm banking to the left or right and what my rate of turn is. It helps me change direction smoothly and safely. Now, once you finish the training requirements and you've mastered every maneuver on the FAA checklist, you then have to pass both a written exam, 
an oral exam presenting the flight plan the examiner has given you, followed by a two-hour check ride where he verbally instructs you where to go and what kind of instrument approach he wants you to demonstrate at each of three different airports. You have to show proficiency in each type of approach. You've got to manage proper communication with the control towers, have access to the right approach charts, and follow them all the way down using only your instruments. It is grueling. At one point during the check ride, I got disoriented, and I missed one of his instructions and ended up on the total wrong course to the next airport. Now, the instructor is not supposed to say a word. He cannot tell you how to fix things. So I had to talk my way through it out loud. I had to admit where I had gone wrong, explain my various options, and how I was going to get back on course. I couldn't allow myself to be a nervous wreck. I had to hold it together. I thought for sure I had failed the check ride. But when we landed, he said, You almost lost it up there. But you worked your way through the problem, and that demonstrated good aeronautical decision-making. And that's what I was looking for. You earned your IFR license. What a day. Now, this lesson has a very important commentary, because what we are going through now is like it was for me with foggles on. We are metaphorically in what is called IMC. That stands for Instrument Meteorological Conditions. We are figuratively flying blind, and there's no handbook, because this part of the journey to the kingdom has never been walked before. We have to rely on our internal gauges and trust the voice that we read about in Isaiah 30 that says, And whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this voice behind you say, This is the way. Walk in it. Now, having an instrument rating gives you the license to navigate when you cannot see. This training requires time, effort, and financial sacrifice, but this level of skill is what our Heavenly Commander requires of His leaders. I have paid the price to become a licensed navigational coach, and I'm here to help you on your journey however I can. Lesson number four concerns the physical disorientation that can result from not being able to see. In the natural, there are severe and dangerous sensations that can happen to pilots when they can't see. You see, normally the way we maintain our orientation is through sensory organs in three areas, visual, vestibular, which is the inner ear, and postural. If you aren't aware of the warning signs when flying, the result can be life-threatening. I remember going down to a tiny airport in West Florida called Cedar Key. The airstrip was very short and surrounded by water, and I thought to myself, wow, this would be really difficult to land on this runway. But I was walking on the field, and I saw a memorial plaque that was built in honor of two couples who had visited in 2008, only to take off and crash four minutes later, killing everyone on board. I read that they departed about 15 minutes after midnight, 
and the moon was below the horizon. As they were maneuvering around the airport under night conditions over open water, the accident was caused by what's called a false horizon. The pilot's visual senses told him one thing, but the reality was the plane was not aligned properly with the actual horizon, and they crashed right into the water. By way of commentary, the physical symptoms many people are having in the latter days are taking their toll. Many are what I would call disoriented. By not understanding God's timetable on the events comprising the end of days, people can suffer from acute stress, depression, hopelessness, or, on the other hand, be in absolute denial, thinking everything's going to be fine. God will come in and save the day. But what is most needed now is to be mentally and spiritually prepared and to have a sound mind. Lesson number five is things change dramatically during the final phase of flight. There are four primary phases of operation when you fly. Each phase has a specific checklist to be followed. Phase one is the takeoff, where you climb to the required altitude. Phase two is the cruise portion of the flight. This is where you put the plane on autopilot and you rest a little bit. Phase three happens about 20 to 30 miles out from your destination, and that's when you prepare yourself and the plane for landing. You have to set up your navigational and communication frequencies and load the desired approach. And phase four is the approach checklist, which guides you down to the final approach fix, and you're cleared to land. Now, it is during these two final phases when you and the plane are on heightened alert. The navigational needles are very sensitive the closer you come to the final approach. It's like you're flying into a tunnel where you cannot see the runway until you are right up on it. Now, this part of the flight requires extreme concentration and precision. You are threading the needle to hit an exact mark in the midst of cloudy soup. And I believe that is what we will experience as we come closer to our final approach. The Lord wants us to train for this part of the journey. The key takeaway is that everything changes once you are on the final approach. It is not life as usual. Now, one way we do that is to learn from the one that God raised up to lead us to the kingdom. And I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about Moses. That was his assignment, to lead God's children through the wilderness of life all the way to the edge of the kingdom. There are many lessons that Moses has to teach us, and I can't wait to tell you about them. He tells us in Deuteronomy 33, There is none like God, who rides through the heavens to your help, and in his majesty through the skies. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. I want to thank you for being with me today. 
As always, you'll find this episode and all of my podcasts on my podcast page at CandiceLong.com. The Lord is training us to get to our final destination, even when we cannot see. Please take a look at the resources that I've been working hard to prepare so that you and your family can have a soft landing. I hope you join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless you.